Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi, my name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Today, I'm so excited to have three different guests to help us understand what role diet and nutrition might be able to play in the management of um, arthritis and other rheumatic diseases or autoimmune diseases, <laughs> long name. So I would first love for my guests to each introduce yourself and maybe explain a little bit what is your relationship to these kind of diseases and why you pursued your career in nutrition. Let's uh, start with Jennifer. Hi everyone, so my name is Jennifer. I'm a registered dietitian and um, my graduate research study uh, or thesis was on anti-inflammatory diet and its role uh, in cognition with breast cancer survivors. So I'm really passionate about that. But besides that, my mother has uh, chronic lower back pain and she has signs and symptoms of uh, fibromyalgia as well. So I only connected the, the dots after grad school, what role um, anti-inflammatory eating pattern can have 
on uh, managing rheumatic and autoimmune conditions. And that's what inspired me to, you know, uh, pursue or start supporting um, chronic illness warriors with nutrition. Because as, as a kid, I never understood what my mom was going through. I just only can say like, okay, my mom didn't want to go out. And my mom said, I can't sit for a long time. And I used to think as a child, like why mom, my mom can't do so many things that other people's mothers are doing. And only to now connect the dots and see that it's such an invisible illness that your relatives, your family members can't really understand unless you have the conversations with them. So that's why I'm like super passionate. Um, my mom, I love my mom. And so, you know, I felt like it's so important for us as dietitians to help other warriors with uh, managing autoimmune conditions with diet and lifestyle. Yeah. That's wonderful. And you got to see it, you know, through the eyes of your mom initially as a child and now as an adult. That's just an amazing story. Thank you. And how about uh, Christina? But what brought you to nutrition? Well, let me tell you um, what brought me to arthritis. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm your RA twin. So I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis eight, almost 18 years ago. And that was back home in Colombia. And also, I've been suffering with Sjogren's syndrome as a child, as well as fibromyalgia. And the list can go on. But those are the main ones. Um, what I'm going to tell you about what brought me to nutrition really was an eating disorder. As a teenager, I, I suffered from bulimia. And surprisingly, I actually chose nutrition because I wanted to be a better bulimic. Can you believe that? Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and it's really, um, it's not a surprise to many who actually join nutrition to develop some sort of eating disorder because of the pressure. But actually nutrition and the School of Nutrition in Colombia and the professors really helped me to heal. I was really amazing. And when actually I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, I, I think I stopped a lot of those harmful behaviors because I wanted to heal. And that's when I didn't really see a role then as a nutrition and arthritis. To be honest with you, I really didn't want to think about the condition. And I think uh, that's what I've been kind of on and off when it comes to the nutrition. But it's still, as, as I said, as I advance and I can see more uh, the role of nutrition in so many chronic illnesses and now in autoimmune diseases. So I think it's in my heart, right, as a patient and as a dietitian to be part of this kind of this role. And that's, that's what it took me here. <laughs> wow. And that's incredible that you took kind of a, a negative experience in your life of experiencing an eating disorder and then turned it into this positive now of using, using your knowledge to help others with their chronic illness management. That's really amazing. Thank you. Now let's hear from Kia. I guess my story of arthritis and nutrition are one in the same because um, they kind of come together in a full circle. And so I was first diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in June of 2018. And I was right in the middle of my um, graduate degree and I was in physiology and pharmacology. 
So, but I was studying the role of niacin and vitamin D for the treatment of diabetes and metabolic syndrome and obesity, because I was always interested in, okay, how could we use nutrients as pharmaceuticals? And that was my interest in kind of the medical sciences field. But then I got really sick with arthritis and I couldn't walk and everything hurt and all of that. And so I finally was diagnosed and I was started on methotrexate and hydroxychloroquine, the main ones. But then I had a really bad reaction to methotrexate and I got really sick. I lost a lot of weight very, very quickly. Um, and in about two months from starting my treatment, I looked like a skeleton of a person. I was so sick and I was still having joint pain. I hated food I because I reacted to everything. I did not like eating. I didn't enjoy eating. And that's when I took a medical leave from school to try and heal and get like my treatment plan under control. And then I kind of had to dig down deep and say, what do I really want in life? And I was like, I can't take the stress of graduate school. So I didn't want to do a PhD. And so I asked my supervisor, can I just defend my master's? And she was so, so, so supportive of me. Um, and definitely she said, you need to put your health first. And we did that. And then my interest for nutrition was also driven um, by my First Nation. First Nation community um, because chronic illnesses are very prevalent in First Nations community. So I also learned about the role of a dietitian through some stuff I was doing with First Nations because they had a dietitian come in and be a guest speaker. And I was like, I didn't even know this was a thing. I didn't know dietitians were really um, the experts in nutrition. And that's when I kind of went on my own journey to discover nutrition and diet, the role of dietitians. And I decided to go back to school and become a dietitian myself. And I'm in my final year of my undergrad and then um, I will have an internship. <laughs> um, and it's just, I found a lot of healing through adopting an anti-inflammatory style of eating and realizing that I could heal my relationship with food after what I went through being on the methotrexate. And that's where they all kind of interline, intertwine together. And I just, I don't want and other warriors or people who got diagnosed to fall down the rabbit hole of nutrition and the experience I had. And so it's basically, I'm trying to be the person I wish I had when I was first going through my diagnosis. That's so beautiful. And I'm so sorry you had such a bad experience at first. Um, I have to share very quick. Mine was similar, but mine, my weight loss, my unintended weight loss was all prior to my diagnosis. So I found out later it's something called rheumatoid cachexia, which is like where you rapidly, and I was a college athlete. I was lifting weights like prior to this and I lost so much muscle mass. Plus I just, I lost my appetite completely. And, um, but anyway, so I, I can identify with that feeling of going, becoming so deconditioned and feeling like kind of a walking skeleton and just not knowing if you're ever going to get relief. So I'm so glad you're on a really healthy and track now. And this is just so powerful to have speakers here who have lived through it, either through your own body or in like Jennifer's case, through the eyes of your mother, which is, you know, um, a really intimate experience. So um, first, I, I didn't even prepare this question, so I'm going to put you guys on the spot. I, one question that I see people ask is, what is the difference between a dietitian 
a registered dietitian and a nutritionist? Are they just the same thing? We just like choose whatever word we like or how does that work? Basically, anybody can call themselves nutritionists. And I think it's a little bit different. In Canada, I find that there's this something called um, integrative practitioners and some certifications. And in the US, I see that that's not as popular because I've lived both in both countries and I've practiced in both countries. But in the US, it's more like nutrition. nutritionist title is also um, protected title now. So in the US, you like dietitians call themselves registered dietitian nutritionists. And that's how the whole title is now protected. Unlike Canada, it's uh, the registered dietitian is protected, but not the nutritionist part. So anybody. So I see so many autoimmune um, illness warriors call themselves integrative practitioners and nutrition coach and nutritionists, right? So anybody can call themselves through their own experience or uh, through taking like a three month or six month certification. But like Christina, myself, and what Kia is going through, I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in nutrition. And then I did a supervised practice training for 1200 hours, just like the doctors would do, right? Like their residency, we have to do our supervised practice training and then sit for a national board exam and then get licensed and registered. So just like a physiotherapist, doctor, nurses, occupational therapist like yourself, right? Yeah, but nutritionists there is no regulatory body like checking on them but we we have dietitians of canada like we are we are registered through um the dietitians of canada so we are, have to abide by all the regulations and rules charting and all of that and we are the only ones that can do medical nutrition therapy registered dietitians but everyone else can just talk about basic healthy nutrition. This is a very common area of, of concern. And I think uh, myself also being a licensed health provider, it, there, there is such a um, difference between being part of a program that's rigorous and has many hours to it and where you're continuously having to demonstrate every year that you're con- keeping up your continuing education and that there's a board. So if, if an occupational therapist or a registered dietitian, you know, if someone believes that that person isn't doing a good job or is being unethical, there's a board you can report them to versus a totally unregulated field like life coaching or nutrition coaching. And it doesn't mean that you're never going to find someone wonderful. I mean, there that it's just that there is a higher level of quality control for the regulated professions. Yeah, I think it's important to consider that uh, we are here to protect the public, right? Like how we do have that responsibility, where it's like, it's like you say, like, where's the orders? Uh, perhaps, you know, they can give advice and even promises, even cures, right? That they're going to, as, as a nutritionist or non-regulated professionals, they can basically say that, but then that becomes very uh, dangerous and harmful for a patient, really following that that path. So I think as a registered regulated health professionals, we abide by trying to practice as much as we can as an evidence-based or what is available, right? So evidence-based practice and always taking in consideration the public protection and public safety. That that's so beautiful. And that actually leads directly into my next question, which is one of the biggest questions I see on social media um, and in person over the last 17 years has been, is there just a diet I can go on that's going to cure my RA? Can I just 
go on diet X, Y, and Z, and then never have to worry about rheumatoid arthritis again. <laughs> Who wants to speak about the potential of diets to cure or completely heal the disease? I want to share a little bit of history. I don't know if you are familiar with this. In 1909, there was an article published about diet and rheumatoid arthritis. If you ever, I wrote a blog about it and I kind of went back and reviewed what happened. So this is not new about wanting to know about uh, if diet will cure uh, rheumatoid arthritis specifically. At that time, the theory was that when anyone was in a flare-up, they will give them a diet for, of milk and a pint of whiskey, mm. <laughs> yummy, <laughs> to, to cure, uh, to, uh, that reduce the, the inflammation. If they, would, they, if they didn't tolerate the, the milk, they'll give them fermented or sour milk. And one of the hypotheses back then was that everyone with rheumatoid arthritis will have an altered um, digestive flora, like a gut flora. So even back then, they had that theory that something was really messed up with the, with the gut. And the fact that after, they, they, after that acute phase, they will say they reintroduced some foods that were like gut, like healthy or digestive. Um, also, like they were tolerated. And so it was like a cooked vegetables and fruits and potatoes. So things like that were very soft. And then eventually they will reintroduce the rest of the food. So moving forward, like 120 years now, now they said there is a role about the microbiome and in the microbiome. And we're talking about, about the elimination diets and all that. But I think now, even in 120 years, they still haven't said, okay, diet can cure arthritis. <laughs> like it still hasn't shown that. But I do find fascinated that nutrition is taking that spotlight that it was really denied for people with autoimmune conditions. I think that's one thing that I really would like to highlight. I wanted to share that piece of history, but I think Jennifer and Kia can maybe talk more a little bit about the rest. Yeah, so great point, um, Christina. You're, you're right on point. And it's so weird, right? Like only now we're trying to give a lot of importance to gut microbiome. And um, actually it was my grad school research. So Kia knows I'm super passionate about that field and um, the probiotic bacteria and how people are just talking about, oh, I'm just going to pop probiotic bacteria pills and, you know, my gut microbiome would be great. And, you know, a a lot of those things but to talk about cure and not necessarily um, there's no research to support that it's going to cure it however um, there's and like any other chronic illness you know when a chronic illness is I mean autoimmune conditions are not new but it's also hard to do research in this population because everyone's signs and symptoms and medications and everything is so unique um, but the same thing with diabetes, right? Like there was a medical, there came about a time where there was a medical nutrition therapy for diabetes. You don't cure it completely, but you can reverse diabetes only if it's type two. And if it's type one, then you have to, it's genetic, right? So you have to take insulin, but you also have to make sure. So I'm deviating a little bit by giving an example of diabetes, but it's a very common, you know, people can understand. And every 
some in someone in their family would have diabetes, right? But it took years to get to the research and understand that, okay, type two diabetes can be managed with diet and lifestyle and reversed, unlike type one. So it's the same thing with autoimmune conditions. Like um, it, it's not going to be cured with diet and lifestyle. However, the flares, the severity of flares, the quality of life can be improved. The severity of flares can be reduced. And then if you're putting your body, like if you're eating more anti-inflammatory type of eating, um, like I don't like to call it diet because it's not another diet. It's more like a eating pattern. Um, and so if you're eating that kind of a eating pattern, more anti-inflammatory, then you're, you're giving your body that chance to stay in that anti-inflammation state versus pro-inflammatory state because your body's already in pro-inflammatory state and your medications are doing their job to reduce that inflammation, right? But with diet, you can support the role of medication and just overall have better quality of life. Instead of having five days of flares, you can have two days of flares and have better quality of life, right? So the research is there. It's just, we don't know a specific medical nutrition therapy that, okay, this, if you do this, it's gonna cure. And it's all up to people too, you know, it's that consistent action taking versus, oh, I'll try this diet, like elimination, autoimmune protocol is really popular. You know, a lot of people swear by it, but uh, a lot of protein can be pro-inflammatory. Men versus women, there's a huge difference on the way we process iron as women and men. You know, they, they don't lose any iron. As women, we lose iron. So for men, if they are going on autoimmune protocols, eating a lot of red meat, it's going to be very, very pro-inflammatory for them. So my, my, the, what I want to say is summary is it needs to be individualized and it, there's no one size fits all. Yeah. That, that's very helpful. And I think that when you're first starting out after being diagnosed, like one of my um, main motivations, similar to what Kia said, is creating something that I wish I had when I was newly diagnosed, right? And so um, when I think about the mindset of somebody who maybe has not had a lot of experience with the medical system, other than they're maybe going to their annual physical or going to the doctor when they sprain their ankle, and now all of a sudden, you're getting diagnosed with a complex chronic lifelong illness and you have a 40 minute, if you're lucky appointment, maybe 30 minute to talk about every aspect of that medications, you know, um, yeah, lifestyle diet, but also just like, how does this work? Like do I have to go get, I have to get blood work and I can go on this medicine or that medicine. So long story short, like, I think that it, there's a tendency to want to adopt like black or white thinking when you have all this uncertainty and all this overwhelm, you're like, okay, well, is I just want to figure out how to make this go away, you know, make it take it, make, make a dietary choice and make it cured. But there's actually this very, it sounds like from what you're saying and from what I've read too, it's like, it's not this hard line in the sand. Like you either do this diet or not, or you, or you adopt this eating pattern and you're, you get cured or nothing. Like it's actually, um, trying to get it is like, in reducing inflammation can greatly improve your quality of life. And that's, and that's not the same as a cure, but it's definitely something in your best interest as a patient. Yeah. Um, 
I really like just everyone's points they're bringing because that's the trap I fell down was like, okay, it's all that all or nothing mindset. It was like, what can I do to cure this? Because you're in so much pain and you're so overwhelmed. You're thrown all these new medications. You're told all these things that you just want the quick fix. You're just like, because even when my doctor told me my medications will take three to six months to start working, I was just like, that seems like way too long. Like six months of pain is very long. It feels like years. And um, so that's, and then when you find the diets, you're like, this will cure you or this will uh, take away your inflammation. Like it's very tempting to fall down that and believe it. And that's where it's like, it won't, there's nothing that will cure. And the word I always like to say and try to remind warriors are is support. There are things you can do to support yourself, but nothing to cure. You can support your well-being. You can support your flares. You can support your diet and you can support less severe flares and lower inflammation, but you can't cure and you can't heal. The other one I always see is a lot of diets that promise to like boost your immune system or do those. Same thing. You can't boost your immune system. You can support it. So a healthy eating pattern, not a diet, can support a healthy immune system. And that keyword is support. So anytime you see extreme words, cure, heal, boost, that's kind of a red flag where the person might not necessarily know what they're talking about or that it's just, it, we're always looking for the keyword of support. We want to support our well-being through our diet and eating patterns. So that's my little tidbit I wanted to add in there. That, that's really, really helpful. Like, and I think there's so much of a new language people have to learn when they're diagnosed that anything we can do to help them kind of sift through all the noise. And of course, yes, some of these people that are the loudest um, are the hard, they're the hardest to ignore because they'll keep saying it in everyone's comments. Oh, you just need to do this. And it's so tempting to want to believe them. To really acknowledge what people really feel when they are going through this journey, because as someone who has been with this probably for 30 years, there's something about food that we feel that we have some control over. We can control what we eat. We can control what we put in our mouths, right? But we can't control how these autoimmune diseases are going to treat us from time to time. So I think that's probably why we feel that we kind of hang on to nutrition and that a diet, a specific diet is going to cure us because it's something that we actually can control. We can't control when a flare is going to hit us. Right. I, so I think well, I really want to acknowledge that that's, that's what we go through on and off, on and off. And it's a journey and it's still going on because at to, up to this point, like Cheryl and I, it's been 18 years. Right. And we're still fighting and we're still warriors. So I think I, I really validate what Kia said, that it's about supporting that well-being, supporting and adding to the wellness toolkit. It's one piece of the puzzle. Nutrition is a piece of that big puzzle that is part of managing an autoimmune condition. Yeah, so just um, kind of talking along the lines of, you know, elimination and restriction. And like Kia said, she also fell into that trap of, like, okay, what can I eliminate? What, what is it? And then you look up these Google searches and like, okay, dairy is bad. Nightshades are bad. Gluten is bad. Eliminate everything. And you already are in such a stressful condition because of your autoimmune condition. 
And on top of that, adding all this stress and anxiety around food, it, it's just kind of completely ruins the relationship with food. And that's the message that I'm always trying to advocate for or share is you don't have to right off the bat start eliminating foods. Number one is when you have this diagnosis, you're going to a doctor, right? For medication. You, if, you, if your car needs a car wash, you're going to go to a car wash place. You might do it on your own, but not as best as a car wash place can do for you. If you need some work done by an accountant, you're going to go to the accountant, right? So it's the same thing, seeking the right support and not falling into trap of like any like random blog posts that are not per se evidence-based. They are more like based on their experience. See, for me, I have experience, but I also... I'm a qualified nutrition expert, so I read research. I may not have the condition myself, but I can support the person as an expert in the field of nutrition. Like I know medical nutrition therapy for different medical conditions. And I know autoimmune condition warriors um, don't only have one. I know you have gastroparesis, you know, so there's like not just like one thing happening multiple things are happening and if you try like a cookie cutter approach it's only going to make your relationship food worse a relationship with food worse and then it's going to not heal anything so getting support um with from a registered dietitian who is an expert in the field can really help you take that overwhelm confusion you know overwhelming all the nutrition information because the warriors in our program, they opt to join our program, our nutrition program, because they're done. You know, they've tried everything and it's just too overwhelming. Even they have bits and pieces of information, but they don't have like, okay, how do I get from point A to point B? And staying stuck at point A is worse than getting support and getting to at least point B and feeling empowered and feeling like you have control over the disease like at least the nutrition piece of the disease not everything else and just overall you know the quality of life that's what I always talk about is like get support from the right profession professional versus trying this trial and error because you will still sit at the same spot by trying doing trial and error because you no one's evaluating no one's giving you feedback no one's looking at your food and symptom journal to help you that okay dairy is okay you you don't have to eliminate dairy it's not your trigger food right so just i wanted to add that piece there that it's not all about restriction it's more about feeling empowered and more addition Hi, everybody. I'm interrupting really quickly to let you know that the waitlist is now open for the Rheumatoid Arthritis Roadmap, your guide for a full life with RA. And I can't wait to share more in the coming weeks. I've heard some myths in, in percolating through here. So the myth that you have to eliminate things in order to manage. Sounds like that's a myth. So you have to, or every in a one size fits all is a myth. Are there any other myths or a myth that you can boost your immune system? Are there any other myths you'd like to help debunk for the audience? I think let's start with that because we even started talking about the famous nightshades. I, I would say that from my history, 18 years, and that's still consistent almost for 20 years, I was at my nightshades, dairy, red meat. Those were like starting, right? And then I would say in 2010, 
way more started using grains, gluten, and the list kind of went on and on. But the one thing that is, is fascinating with the nightshades is just keep coming back and forth. And I probably the main theory about the, the nightshades is that substance is called solanine that it's, it's really to protect the plant, the plants that are basically the eggplants, uh, uh, bell peppers, tomatoes, and also in certain um, uh, condiments, spices like paprika, chili peppers, and all that. So they are found, the solanine is found in those products. And, and so I think the theory comes back with potatoes. I think potatoes, there was someone in the 60s, or I think a group of, of, of children that kind of got poisoned from eating like the green part of potatoes. Like the potatoes were actually green. So in this part of these these uh, vegetables per se, this solanine that is what they call the kind of the toxin there that is gonna cause inflammation, it's really mainly found in the stems of the green parts of these vegetables. So obviously you're not going to eat that. You're going to eat cooked potatoes. So that's really not gonna trigger the in- inflammation. And I think we put aside, we really forget about all the extra and beautiful nutrients that are in the nightshades, right? So they're full of antioxidants and they're actually part of the rainbow, kind of like you eat your, the rainbow, right? Eat the rainbow, eat the purples, eat the, the greens and the, and the reds. And I think they're valuable. It's so amazing the antioxidants that they have. And even like in cayenne pepper recently, it's actually in the spotlight. In, in terms of the anti-inflammatory properties. So say like, oh, come on, give me a minute. And then as I was reading, I was cooking quinoa. Quinoa has that bitter taste. And you know what? It's the same component that is a nightshade. So how come nobody tells anything about quinoa, right? So, and that's why you kind of had to wash and rinse and re-rinse the, the quinoa in order to get rid of that little bitterness. And it's the substance that is really found in nightshades as well. So it feels that they, they just kind of pick. And, and I, I really, really bothers me when they demonize food, right? And they just pick one and that's the evil one. You go, Jen, Jennifer. <laughs> so I just wanted to talk about uh, dairy and yogurt, actually, because like I said, it's my grad school research and it is research studies have shown that it is anti-inflammatory versus pro-inflammatory because it's the best matrix for your probiotic bacteria. And my grad school research was where I put the probiotic strains into frozen yogurt um, to see how it survives your stomach acidity and goes to the intestine to flourish there and multiply, right? Because these probiotic bacteria are so fragile that your stomach acidity, can they can die. So who is to tell that, oh, you're taking all these, eating all these probiotic things or, you know, just random probiotic products that it's even surviving your stomach acidity. It's probably dying, right? So that's why you will find a lot of probiotic strains in um, dairy matrix because it does help protect these probiotic bacteria through the stomach acidity and um, uh, allows it to go to the intestine. So that's why like dairy is um, anti-inflammatory in that sense because you there is probiotic in it uh, as well as calcium. So calcium is extremely important as well. 
Um, but the thing is, of course, if it's your trigger food, like today I was talking to my one-on-one nutrition coaching client and we, she didn't uh, consume dairy whatsoever. And then last week uh, we started eating parfait made with yogurt, right? And we started seeing more stiffness. So the thing is, we have to really focus on what signs and symptoms you're having with specific foods. And like Christina said, and like you also said that bell peppers and tomatoes are not okay for you, Cheryl, but potatoes are totally okay. So it's not the whole family, right? It's, it's, it's maybe one thing. So for, for a lot of people, when you say dairy, they forget about cheese, you know, like cheese is dairy, but cheese can be a huge trigger for inflammation uh, because of its saturated fat content. But it's just an umbrella, right? So you don't have to remove the whole dairy food group. You have to uh, test different foods from that food group and see which one is exactly your trigger. And um, if it's even consistently your trigger. Sometimes it could be something else you had that day. And um, Kia can vouch on dairy because now she's such a lover of dairy (laughs) and she had eliminated that. So I would love to hear her say something about dairy, but that's my little like myth busting there about dairy. Like, yeah, dairy is bad. It's, it's just not good for me. And I, I get breakouts and this and that. But sure, I get it. I completely understand. Like it, it doesn't work for some people, but for others, it's a really good source of nutrients. And we shouldn't just eliminate it without really kind of doing keeping the food and symptom journal. That's, that's so, so helpful. I remember in my own journey realizing that it was that dairy fat, like, like full fat ice cream or full fat creamer versus the lower fat, like a yogurt. So yeah, it's just so much more complicated than it seems at first. So Kia, did you want to add to a little bit of your journey? Yeah. So it's the same, just like Jennifer is talking with dairy and just like you said with the high fat dairy. So I know like I am lactose intolerant, so I do moderate my dairy intake because of that. But I thought dairy was triggering my pain and my inflammation or causing my flare ups. But it's the same. It's high fat dairy is what I found through journaling was that it was my trigger. So I I'm fine with yogurt and I'm fine with um, lower fat frozen yogurts kind of more for my ice creams. Um, But if I do choose to have cheese or I do choose to have ice cream, I just know that I'm going to not feel so great. And that's where we say the empowerment is, okay, I'm choosing to eat this. I expect that when I wake up tomorrow, I will be stiff. I'm okay with that. And then the whole enjoyment of food is okay because you're kind of aware of how things will go. And I also know, okay, I'm not going to eat cheese tomorrow. So then my, by the next day I'm back to normal. So you really have that control and that empowerment over your choices. Um, And that's, yeah, that was kind of my experience with Derek. I love ice cream. Like I love, love, love ice cream. And I was always so sad thinking I could never have it. Um, And then it turns out, yeah, I can enjoy frozen yogurt or I can enjoy yogurt and I can enjoy these other things. So I just love having my joy of eating back. So you you can enjoy. So I guess the myth is that anti-inflammatory diets or elimination diets, that they're boring and restrictive and you can't ever have like fun foods, but you totally can. And I guess that's the, the myth that I overcame myself was that, yeah, you can enjoy fun foods if you want. You can enjoy your favorite foods if you want, and you don't have to feel guilty about them. Um, 
and it, like Jennifer talked about a lot too, once you know your unique trigger foods, yeah, that's when you, you can just avoid those if they are a huge trigger for you. Um, so I guess, yeah, the myth is fun foods don't fit. Yes, they do. <laughs> I, I love that. And I think you all have done a really good job on your social media account. So I'm just definitely going to promote your social media in the comments, but um, where you show that um, again, that it's all about an overall balanced life and a healthy quality of life and not about this, oh, I must like control my disease at all costs and like do only the right things and only eat the right foods. And again, I guess I'm always searching for the mental health side of things because it's part of the, what I find most fascinating in life. And I just loved Jennifer's point earlier about how um, food eating is such a primal thing, right? It's one of the first things we do when we're born. We eat from our, we have to, for the first time, eat from our mother instead of being inside the womb and getting, you know, on-demand nutrition. So, um, like, and I've, anyway, in my past, I've worked with pediatrics and I've seen it with children, especially children with special needs. They have so few things in their environment that they can control. And a lot of people are like, why is my kid so picky about food? Why is my kid obsessed with food? You're like, it's the one thing they, you cannot force someone to chew and swallow food. They have to choose to do that. That's one of the few things some kids can control in their lives. So it really is a deeply psychological um, part of this whole journey. And I can, again, I, I empathize with the warriors who are recently diagnosed and who are just desperate for some sense of control over it. But what I'm hearing from all of you is that there's a way to give yourself that empowerment and control that doesn't feel desperate and scary and overwhelming and sad. Um, oh, Christina, you were going to mention your your journey about red meat. Journeys with red meat, title of your memoir, right? Uh, no, red, meat. <laughs> red meat is, uh, is also one of the big ones that is still hanging around. But although there's older um, people claiming that a carnivore diet can cure rheumatoid arthritis, which is like, uh, okay, wait a minute, no. <laughs> and again, because it becomes like a, when one diet is only comprised of just one food item or one food group, really, you're missing out and a lot, right? So you need to acknowledge that. But when it comes to red meat, there's really some uh, research indicating that because of the saturated fat content, and just like Kia mentioned, right, like at that high kind of saturated fats can trigger inflammation or there's other uh, types of fats like arachidonic acid, fatty acids that can also be triggers of inflammation. Um, but my, my, my journey with red meat has been like a, kind of a little bit, it, it's a rocky one. So it, it's interesting that how you have to acknowledge what happens with each individual because I used to eat red meat occasionally. It wasn't a big part of my diet, but I enjoyed it. But then once I started methotrexate, for some reason, that red meat tasted awful, awful, awful. It just, just didn't taste right. And so that's how I started that dislike for red meat. I just stopped enjoying it. So even though, okay, it's, it's you know, it's maybe not harmful, but I just didn't enjoy red meat. I got pregnant. I guess my immune system kind of dropped again. I love red meat again. I love it. <laughs> so, so, so even your own inflammatory like a, a food triggers they change and they change like the stage of your disease and and what what's happening then i resume methotrexate after pregnancy <laughs> and again it's, it's just not for me so i think it still is a process even even though that like, you may identify those food triggers today maybe in a couple of years or so things may change and that maybe those food triggers may change as well so I think that just to acknowledge that. 
That's so great. And that's, I keep thinking of a psychological, it can be really sad when you discover something that maybe works for you and it works for a while, but then something else changes. And then suddenly that thing that did that worked yesterday didn't work today. So um, that's another thing that a chronic illness teaches you that you really have to kind of live life moment to moment and not get too attached to the things that worked, right? Because then we get really disappointed when they don't work. Yeah. So like Christina said, like once you understand the basics and once you know exactly like how to identify those triggers and you're not doing like a haphazard or trial and error job, when you really understand how to keep that food and symptom journal thoroughly, it's a lifelong process. Certainly your triggers will change, but then you have that tool in your toolbox and then when life or the phase of your life changes as women you know if you get pregnant or uh, if you have a baby or post um, postnatal prenatal any of those times or even when you um, are postmenopausal you know things will change and it's not the same journey like men women have like so much going on in their body so it's it's also different but having like that tool in your toolbox is extremely important just wanted to follow up on that and then the other thing is I find a lot of times people are trying to you know like pick up on some fad you know and we've I've worked in the weight loss field for a long time as well and I see that the doctors recommend weight loss for osteoarthritis and they say like sure you know you lose weight or you'll you'll feel better but it's only one piece of the puzzle if someone is eating very, very high pro-inflammatory diet and losing weight and has lost weight, it's not going to help their osteoarthritis because their inflammation is still there, right? It's just like the the pressure on the knees has reduced and whatnot, but definitely, you know, they it, it has to be like a combined approach. But like thinking about fads, right? Like, okay, celery juice will help or eliminating gluten will help or yeah, certainly these things can help, but we're just missing the basics with which if I didn't go to school for nutrition, like a lot of things like micronutrient absorption in the body, how your gut microbiome is important for vitamin K. And, you know, like a lot of these things um, and lycopene is only active when you eat a cooked tomato versus raw. Like those kind of things, like you don't... um, like normal population can only Google search and only go Google search so much, right? So just missing like the basics and running after fads I, that's what like I I feel like it's wrong per se like it that doesn't lead to success um, and and kind of fo- focusing more on the basics of okay what is the basic healthy anti-inflammatory diet and can I do it on a very consistent daily basis I think that's that's what the takeaway here is like okay the fats are not going to help but it's it's just just learning the basics from someone who knows it and who has gone to school is going to help you move in the right direction. Yeah. That's beautiful. And this actually brings up a couple questions that I think some of the audience might have. First of all, are registered dietitians like covered by insurance? Is that something people can see depending on their plan? I know I'm in the US and you all are in Canada, so I know we have different systems, but my understanding, I know in my plan, I can see a registered dietitian. Um, okay, so yeah, in Canada, uh, some of the plans like um, they do cover registered dietitian. 
Um, and then uh, in the US, I know as most of the plans don't cover unless you have like a, uh, some coverage for diabetes or kidney disease. I don't know how, what insurance you have, but some private insurances may, but see the system in Canada is very much dependent on insurance. Like we, we have this free medical um, system here. So that's why like the mindset is a little different in Canada versus in the US. I find that people in the US are so used to spending dollars for their medical needs that, um, seeking a dietitian, even paying out of pocket is normal to them versus I find in Canada, it's a little difficult to convince people if they don't have coverage that it's still um, worth paying out of pocket for a registered dietitian, but it's just the mindset because we have pre-medical, but a lot of good insurances like private insurance, I find cover registered dietitian up to 80% or sometimes 100%. Starting to see a little bit of a shift though with rheumatologists and as a patient and as an advocate, even for my own care, I go and talk to my rheumatologist and say, you know what, go check this out. Like I'll go check out, even I have, I suggested Kia's website. Like I really, I have to, and I say, look at this, it's, it's happening. We're changing the rules. So you need to really start involving uh, nutrition care as part of the, the, the whole circle of care, really, for our patients, for, for us. So I think it's a, it's a matter of advocating in that area as well. That, that makes a lot of sense. Kia, I know you had something to cover too. Yeah, the other thing that is like surprising to to consider with rheumatologists and doctors in general in their training, they don't get trained on nutrition. That's the other important piece I think to really bring to light. Yes, they might get um, a small piece of yes, diet plays a role. These are kind of a few few basics, but they actually don't undergo nutrition education like a dietitian does. Um, and so that's why a lot of times doctors or rheumatologists don't address nutrition with you um, because they they don't know like they they can read the evidence and they can do that but a dietitian goes to school for a minimum of five years where they completely focus on diet and nutrition um, but where the rheumatologist wouldn't necessarily so they might be confused themselves of what diet because they don't know what the research is for anti-inflammatory eating styles and I think they're just that's where the hesitation comes from and that's why um, and because there's no like medical nutrition therapy to say this is what works there's just that that handoff is is slow to come. And that's why yeah, Jennifer is doing amazing advocacy work and trying to get referrals. And it has proven to be a very difficult task, but um, with slow, steady pace wins the race. So that's what we're going for. I really hope that in the next, you know, five to 10 years, there's a lot more clarity around it because yeah, we deserve, patients deserve all the tools in our toolbox. The same with, you know, physical therapy, occupational therapy. People just say, okay, well, exercise is good for you. Exercise, just go exercise. Well, that's a lot more complicated than that. There's different kinds of exercise. There's cardio. There's you know um, weight lifting. How much? When? How? You need someone to help you through that. Well, one thing I wanted to mention is that it, just think about when someone is also starting a new therapy, a biologic, for instance, right? So your RA or any old your autoimmune condition that is put for, like it seems like a, it works like a switch, like. Ooh! 
wow, it works, right? Like you feel so much better. And I think I can translate that into when someone has, let's say, has had like a, we call like kind of the standard American diet, processed foods, and, and that's what they're used to having their diet. And then once they go into these maybe fat diets or they have this restrictive elimination diet, they feel great because in a way they are kind of resetting their their system right like their body their metabolism so they seem like to respond it's oh that cured me oh my god that took away the flare-ups right but because the process continues so it's the same thing it's gonna get to a point of the the first biologic stopped working at five years mark right so then you're gonna need another one but maybe your body is not gonna respond the same way the first time did so i think uh, i've been trying to really kind of associate that, like how that responds to the biologics, even to, to food or nutrition over time. And I think uh, that's when uh, I, I really validate what Jennifer says, that is when we are experts in nutrition, I think that Jennifer has seen her, through her clients and through her mom, I have lived as I had the lived experience for so many years. And I think that's so valuable. And I and, and that part is when I do see more empowerment with uh, my clients when I see them is because I can relate to them, right? I can physically relate to them. But I think there's also value in someone who is not doesn't have the disease. So perhaps has a little bit more of that extra energy <laughs> that can infuse that to those clients. So I think I am so thrilled to really hear about Jennifer and Kia's work, really. I think um, like what Christina just said about having that lived experience is really important. And I like that's why Jennifer and I complement each other so well in our program, because she brings this vast expertise. And then I bring in the experience because she's always asking me, does this resonate or would this work for someone? And I and then I give her feedback and say, yeah, like that would work. Or, you know, when we're on our flare day, this we really wouldn't want to do that. And so it's this nice balance of just having the lived experience with the with the the expertise in our program, and it just really resonates with the warriors in our program. And um, like it just it's really nice about that. And then my take home is just for warriors is just stop doing diet alone and and try and find support. And if you're overwhelmed that's also normal. And the, those feelings are valid because that's what I always struggled with not feeling validated. And I think with diet and nutrition, yes, it can help, but your feelings of over, being overwhelmed with diet and nutrition are valid. It's stressful and that it's okay. And that we are listening and we are willing to talk and support with you because we know how overwhelming it is. Like from my own experience, I know how overwhelming it is. So that's kind of just my last little piece I wanted to add. That's, that's beautiful. Jennifer, do you want to go next? Any closing thoughts or messages? Yeah. Um, so again, I would say that, you know, um, definitely seek support. You know, sometimes I find that um, seeking support is very much later on in the journey. And I feel like my message would be instead of spending money on random supplements or just, you know, some kind of fad that you've heard, it's only going to negatively impact your body. Like someone told me in one of my calls that they started this celery juice trend and they they were diagnosed then with heartburn and acid reflux. And now you're just adding on another thing. And it's, it's too much of concentrated 
concoctions, you know, you don't need that. So just go back to basics. If you're not able to figure out, reach out to one of us. Uh, we are experts in the field of nutrition and we'll, we'll really help you sort through it. If we are not a good fit for you, it's absolutely okay. You know, you can reach out to someone else, but reaching out is the first step and don't hesitate. Like it's not that you have to um, sign up for our nutrition coaching program or our services. We're also here to listen. Like a lot of times I just love listening to your stories and, you know, warrior stories because everyone has such unique story. And if I can help them, certainly I will say, you know, this is the, this is what I can offer you. It's up to you if you want to, you know, uh, take that support. But again, reach reach out. I would say reach out to us if you have questions instead of just following some random fat diet because it's only going to negatively impact you more because you don't know. You've not gone to school to learn physiology and inside like a lot of things can happen, you know. So that would be just my takeaway that it's not all or nothing mindset. It is more gray, not black and white. And um, nutrition and uh, diet can be a great uh, tool in the toolbox along with the holistic lifestyle, you know, like there's a lot of times when I find like Kia, you know, if she's flaring or anything like that, we certainly make sure that she prioritizes sleep good quality sleep, stress management. It's, it's a lot of things that go together. Um, and I think working on all these pieces is more important than picking on one thing and doing that for as like a cure. Christina, what are your final words? Speak now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> Like I've always been saying, like, uh, and I've been reflecting on that is that there isn't one size fits all. There's only one size for you. That's, really what I, I come to. And I think I'm loving the conversation, just like Jennifer said, through like social media. I think that I'm enjoying more the, the platform is having those conversations and understandings, you know, where is this coming from? And I think now I'm kind of showing a new light as a new mom, like my boys only a year and a half. So I think there's one more thing that you need to find that balance that perhaps, yeah, someone else that we know that hasn't had perhaps a child or that responsibility can take a break and, and rest and go take a nap. But sometimes when we have an autoimmune condition and a child, that's not really an option. But it's also uh, really kind of uh, acknowledging that to just find things, to figure out things to enjoy with your kid, right? Enjoy with your family. And you're still going to be able to strive and find a peace of mind and rest that you require. So I think it's just, it, and it's still possible to have, I only wanted to say it's possible to be a mama and have an autoimmune disease because that was taken away from me for 10 years. So I really want to say that it, it's still it's still possible to thrive as an autoimmune um, warrior. I will say that. that's beautiful, and I'm I'm so glad you were able to experience parenthood, and it's been fun. Um, you and I again being twins in terms of having rheumatoid arthritis the same amount of time. Our kids are slightly different ages, but yeah, you're 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 not alone. You know you can choose to do this journey alone or you can choose to do it with support. And that can be kind of informal support just through social media and commenting and making connections. And that's, that's one level that works for some people, but getting expert guidance is, is certainly um, 
a wonderful tool in your toolbox. So thank you all so, so much and really wonderful learning from you all. And I know that the audience will feel the same way. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Rheumatoid Arthritis Roadmap, your guide to a full life with RA. It's my comprehensive online education and empowerment program. I'm so excited about it. And to learn more, go to www.myarthritislife.net. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.